Let's open our Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. The Lord knows that Jesus Christ is preeminent in this church with 167 phrase-by-phrase sermons from the Gospel of John that ended last Lord's Day. We will take a little break from expository preaching, although today will be rather expository from Joshua chapter 1 to consider several topics over the next few weeks. William Tyndale didn't rest on his laurels, did he? He wasn't content to have matriculated at Oxford at 12 and accomplished all that he had. He wanted to do more. You thank God for the blessings that we have. You thank God that the Turks overthrew Constantinople in 1453, driving all those Greek manuscripts out of that part of the world into Europe, where they were used by Erasmus and Stevens and Tyndale and others. You thank God for Johann Gutenberg, who invented the printing press, so that though two and a half weeks of wages sounds like a lot of money for a translation of the scriptures, translate that for you right now. It was still to be had. Scripture could be had because of the printing press, and God arranged those men to be his tools for us to have the scriptures. Now we can go to a dollar store and buy a King James Bible with both Testaments and 66 books and all 1,189 chapters and 31,102 verses in our language. And he's given us a version that has borne the, te- bore the test of time and has fruits of all kinds, nationally, evangelistically, individually, spiritually, unprecedented. And we thank God for it. In the time that I have, and our time has been well spent thus far, I want to give you Joshua chapter 1 and some thoughts from it to motivate you for the year 2019. We're a few days into this new year. Challenges will come. Challenges may already be on you. And if you don't have any, pick some. Because you're retiring on the job. If you don't have any, pick some. David picked one. William Tyndale picked one. That didn't land in his lap from God directly or or by Scripture. He chose to want to translate the Scriptures into English. David chose to want to build a house for the Lord. What will you choose to do in 2019? What do you need to do this coming year? What will you do? to make 2019 exceedingly magnificent to the Lord. If you aim for nothing, but let life happen to you, then you will hit nothing, and it will be your fault. As you heard last Lord's Day, no one plans to fail. But any that fail to plan will fail. Managing life sets goals and finishes them. God's given you goals in the Bible. You should know them, prioritize them, and complete them. What you already do well is not a challenge. 
hear me. What you already do well is not a challenge. You say, but it was hard doing well at it. But it wasn't a challenge because you did it. It wasn't much of a challenge. And since you've already done it, it can hardly be a challenge for this year. You need to do something better than that. Stop vain thoughts of basking in a few good deeds. Think about areas of your life where you have slipped, are slipping, or fear slipping from virtue. Think about areas of your life you're uncomfortable with, that cause fear, that you try to ignore because you don't really want to deal with them. Think about where you may procrastinate and why. These are the challenges courage can crush. And courage is what Joshua 1 is all about. And we'll define it from the pages of Scripture right here. God listed duties in the Bible and measures of them, but you may also add outside challenges of your own that you want to do in 2019. God never asked for a temple. 2 Samuel 7, if you read the whole chapter, God came back to David and said, Why are you thinking of building me a temple? I never mentioned it before. I haven't written anything about it. I haven't asked for one. I've been content in a tent. And God knew why. Because David loved him. And God said, David, I'm not going to let you build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And David's son is sitting on the throne of the kingdom of God at this hour. God built David a house, and I want him to build every one of your families a house. But do you have the same desire David did to build God a house? Second Samuel 7, I've told you a number of times before, is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible due to the personal conversation between God and David that is unprecedented in the Bible. And God pulled the veil back and let us go right in to see how God and David talked to each other. Let it be true of us this year. No matter the challenge, you must define it and what appropriate success would be like God did for Joshua in this chapter. Since your minds may be wondering, what kind of a challenge can I do or what can I accomplish in 2019, allow me to read about 42 ideas to you. It'll be available in an outline on our website within 24 hours, but let me slowly read them to you and see if maybe one or two excites you. What can you do better in 2019 than you've done before for the glory of God and the honor of his son, Jesus Christ? Bible reading. One of 42 items. Bible reading. Did you read it every day, meditatively, submissively, eagerly, looking to meet with God this past year? If not, that's what 2019 is for and why he's allowed us to be here today. Take the challenge. Bible reading. I can't take that long on the other 41. But I mentioned that one to you. Look at what we just heard about the Word of God from Psalms 119 and verse 130. Look what we just heard about regarding William Tyndale. Let us love this Bible. You're not going to die for it. Let's live for it. Let's live it. Job trajectory. Is your professional trajectory what it should be to match up with Scripture? 
Have you acquired the education that you ought to do? Tyler, talking to you in love, son. You get over there to Auburn and kick some fanny and be the best that you can in character and grades. You be exceeding magnificent. Don't send your parents some little shack. Send them a temple like David built. I'm not picking on you, Tyler, at all. I hope you know me a little bit by now through your brothers. But I want to be personal. If I'm not personal, then I'm, I waste the time. I waste your time. Every one of you that are in the school, we're going to be praying for you in the second assembly for you to be great in character and great in your accomplishments. Does your house need to be repaired? Repair it. Keep your assets up because Proverbs condemns you not doing so. Family devotions. Do you have family devotions that's worship in your house? Are you leading your wife and your children, fathers? Mothers, are you helping your children have devotions? Spiritual reading of the Bible and spiritual reading of other books. We have a library. I'll get you any book at our expense for you to read. If you want to read Christian biographies, I'll get you 50 to read during 2019. If you want to read spiritual biographies or spiritual books, read them. Saturate your soul. Do something for the Lord instead of reading what you may have read in 2018. Are you going to be a power couple in 2019? Are you men going to lead your wives and are you wives going to support your husbands like Mrs. Joshua supported Joshua? Joshua was able to say... As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He didn't have to ask her because he knew she was with him. Abraham didn't have to ask Sarah. Abraham knew Sarah was with him. And God knew that about Abraham and Sarah. And God blessed them because of it. We want to see power couples in this church. A husband and a wife committed to the cause of the kingdom of Jesus Christ like Aquila and Priscilla were committed. That is not one spouse, that is a couple. Together serving cheerfully and joyfully the Lord in every way that they can. Daily prayer. Do you beseech the throne of grace and beg God for his mercy, like you just heard Adam Wells pray? Do you beg God for your family? Do you beg God for your soul? Do you beg God for fellowship of his spirit? Do you beg for more of the Holy Spirit, like the Apostle Paul did two times, in each of the six chapters of the epistle to the Ephesians. Praying for the Holy Spirit is a very important part of a Christian's life, as Paul showed by his prayer for his church. Systematic savings. If you are not saving systematically, you're sinning against the Word of God. House cleaning. Does your house need to be cleaned and organized and made fit for hospitality? Are you willing to cut off a hand when it comes to inputs in your life? Men, you know what I'm speaking about. Are you willing to pluck out an eye? If it's the television, if it's the friend, if it's the internet, if it's magazines, are you willing to cut off a hand? Will you lose a friend for the Lord's sake? David got rid of his friend. Psalm 101, verses 3 through 8. David said he would have nothing to do with them. I cannot stand those that turn aside. Are you enhancing your resume? Does it need to be enhanced? Then do it in 2019. 
Do you manage your moods and do you rule them or are you moody? Do your moods get away with you? The Lord told us to rule our spirits. So in 2019, can you manage your moods? Can you be more cheerful, more consistently cheerful than you've ever been before? Are you going to be a parent that teaches two duties to your children? Helping them do their homework is not being a good parent. It is so far down the list, it doesn't measure as being a good parent. A two-duty Christian understands that life is made up of two things, and they're never discovered in a classroom. They are the love of God and the love of others. Love of God and love of others. Are you going to teach your children to be two-duty Christians? There is no Christian without those two duties. They're just a facade. They're a, they're a hypocritical mess. They're a pretense. If you don't love God, I don't mean memorize verses about God. Love God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love others as yourself. Can you teach your children and your teens to love others like they already love themselves? It's work because it's contrary to our nature. We're selfish. We don't want to give God his due in our affection, and we don't want to give others their due in our affection. Attendance at church. Are you going to be a committed Christian or a convenient Christian? Some of you made choices in 2018 for convenience rather than commitment. If you could structure your vacation to be gone on Sundays, you would be. What are you going to do in 2019? David said... And he had ten more, ten times more responsibility than you can even imagine. He said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. Are you going to eliminate debt that's burdened your life? The Bible tells you to. The Lord doesn't want you to be the tail that's wagged by the dog. The Lord wants you to be wagging someone else by loaning them money instead. Are your papers going to be organized? Is your office, your desk, your papers, your will, your estate, your insurance, is it all organized? Are you going to replace a friend that you should replace to be a better Christian? Do you want to memorize the Bible in 2019? Then think about it. Take it on as a task. I'm not assigning it. I'm just trying to throw out some ideas. What if you were to memorize a verse a week so that you'd have 52 verses at the end of the year about the glory of God? about his attributes, about his son, Jesus Christ. It's something you could do, and you could give the Lord something magnificent. To lie in bed at night and to be in a memory program, you can quote scripture to God. It is a very precious experience. Instead of thinking about anything else, instead of counting sheep, or indulging in some fantasy of bitterness or revenge against someone, or indulging in some fantasy about someone you're not married to. I'm sorry to even mention such things as possibilities. Be quoting verses and find out that you fell asleep after four verses, and when you woke up four hours later, you ask yourself, where was I? That is the way to sleep in bed. It is possible. It is probable it will happen. Will you respect our rulers better in 2019? Our rulers are being degenerated in front of our eyes. 
I wrote you and gave you three examples in my Friday update. I asked you to pray for me. It takes everything I can muster to thank God for our present government and to pray for it. I will do it. And when I do it, God knows I'm giving him something special because I am a rebel by nature and I'm a double rebel by knowing the word of God. Solomon said that knowing scripture is a source of great sorrow and great grief. And the more we know scripture, the more we can see faults in our government. But we must honor them and speak respectfully of them. Will you rule the inputs in your life? All you young people, you know when I hold up my hand, I have reduced your life to five inputs. There is daily Bible reading. There is daily prayer. There are your friends, and they better be spiritually minded Christians. There is your music. Is it God-glorifying music? And there is your entertainment. What are you watching for entertainment? Those five inputs. If you'll control those five inputs, you can give God something exceeding magnificent in 2019. If you compromise on any one of those five, you will not give God what you are able to give him. It's very simple. Just five. Just five. Can you revive your marriage in 2019 and make it more pleasing to the Lord? Should you be more fit physically in 2019? Do you have aged parents that should get some tender regard and care from you? Will you participate publicly in this church? Because this pulpit is always open in our church. You saw how it was used today. Was it used well today? Was the back room used well today? Why not participate and show the Lord some glory? You say, well, it's hard for me to get in front of people. That is why I just brought it up. If it's hard, then you're paying for the yoke of oxen from Ornan the Jebusite. If it's easy, you haven't given them anything. So we've got to go to another point on the list. Come on. If it's hard, then it's a challenge. If it's a challenge, then it's a gift. If it's a gift like it's a challenge, it's a costly gift, and the Lord appreciates it. Will you systematically give in 2019? I never ask for money in this church. Never. But will you systematically give? Go read about David's giving. David provided out of his own purse, not by raising taxes. Solomon raised taxes for those palaces that he built all of his pagan wives. David didn't raise taxes. David contributed for the building of that temple. Read the sums that David gave. Systematic giving. How about your driving habits? You want to give the Lord something exceeding magnificent? Then stay near the speed limit. You say, I wouldn't get anything. Oh, yes, you would. God will bless you for honoring his authorities that did engineering and traffic studies and are telling you you're driving too fast. Driving habits. Ruling your speech. Can you rule your speech better in 2019 and not let it go and say things that are harsh, cruel, wrong, hateful, bitter, envious, worldly, carnal? Child training. For those of you with children, are you going to train them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? I'm not talking about school. Sending them off to school is not training them. Train them in the two duties of a Christian. 
Are you going to be a church volunteer? There's a page over here on the table on your right where you can volunteer. Is your will all settled and your cemetery spot available? Are you going to bring more music into your life and singing and promote singing? Will you honor all parents? Every one of you has four parents if they're still living. They may be reduced to three to two to one. Honor all parents. It's the commandment of the Lord. What can you do that would be exceptional, different, creative, loving to parents? Substance abuse. I'm talking about food, alcohol, tobacco, or anything else, whether it's prescription or not. Do you need to be using it? Are you stealing half your wits, half of your ability, half of your energy, half of your power? Substance abuse. I'm not up here talking about heroin or snorting coke. I just mentioned the things that you ought to be thinking about. Are you going to promote prayer? When prayer meetings are offered in this church, are you going to go? Instead of sitting at home and doing something a million times inferior, even if it's, even if it's the most important thing you've done this year. Hospitality. Are you going to be known for hospitality? It's a commandment. We're to be given to hospitality. And we're to show hospitality without grudging. Are you going to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ this year? Who on the job? Who in your neighborhood? Who at the gym? Who in your family, your extended family, are you going to tell about the Lord Jesus Christ? Witnessing. Are you going to reduce care in your life? You know, I've said some things that you're thinking, well, that you're, just, you're making my life so complicated. Well, here's where I balance it. Are you going to reduce care in your life? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, I would have you to be without carefulness. So what can you get rid of in your life to have a life with less care? Are you going to get rid of your fear phobias? Some of you have fear phobias. It's all up here. Get rid of them. You walk out on the high dive, you look down, the water's 30 feet away, you tell yourself it's three miles away. I'm going to hit it and splat like I'm hitting concrete. No, you're not. Just jump off. Jump off again, jump off again, and pretty soon you'll be doing backflips off it. Fear phobias. See, if it's a phobia, it's something you dread. If it's something you dread and you give it to the Lord, he's going to be honored because you're giving him something special and costly. I've got to dig deep into all of you somewhere because if we don't give him something special, we can't give him anything at all. Because just giving him the same old, same old that all average ordinary Christians give him is no nothing like David, nothing like Paul, nothing like Joshua. Let's get to Joshua. What made William Tyndale do what he did? He chose a difficult challenge that cost him his life. Joshua was a great Bible character, measured by his accomplishments, his courage, his commitment, and his faith. He has a book of the Bible named after him, which is the history of Israel taking the land of Canaan. Joshua in the Bible is also called Hashia, Ashia, Jehoshua, Jeshua, and Jesus. Be careful when you read the Bible. I love the fact that God gave him seven different names to shut the mouths of skeptics who don't know how to read the Bible. That sometimes men have different names that are the same man. Like Peter is really Simon, and Simon is really Cephas. 
and they'll never forget that. And they don't look alike, and they're not spelled alike, but it's the same singular one man. But skeptics want to tear our Bible apart and say, well, this man can't be this man because they have two different names, and I don't care about the context of each man. Well, I'm just telling you about Joshua. I'm sorry for getting off track. I love the Word of God and all of you understanding it. Thank you, Chris, for reminding us about the three kings missing in the genealogy of Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, because you know and the church knows exactly why those three names are missing. And by finding out why those three names are missing, we found out what they can't figure out in the Old Testament, why Ahaziah became king when he was 22 in one place and became king when he was 42 in another place. And these idolaters of Hebrew and Greek will alter will alter that language in a second because they can't figure it out. The age of Ahaziah when he became king, by finding the answer to it, we know why there are three kings missing in Matthew chapter 1. It's advanced revelation for those that want to trust God's word and not change God's word. Joshua had distinguished himself before God and the nation of Israel by deeds before taking Canaan, and I'm not going to enumerate them all to you. Consider the challenge that Joshua faced. Now, I just said some things that if you're honest and sincere and submissive and humble today, you realize there are some things that you could do in 2019 that are hard. Think about Joshua. He has to replace Moses. Are you kidding me, Lord? Moses? Moses was great, mighty in word and deed in Egypt for the first four years of his life. He graduated at the top of his class. He was the high school quarterback. When he went in the military, he was a SEAL and a commander of the SEALs. He was mighty in word and deed in Egypt, filled with all the wisdom of the Egyptians. That is told us by Stephen, by inspiration in his sermon in Acts chapter 7. That's before he went to the backside of the desert and had some close encounters with the God Jehovah of heaven. Remember the burning bush? Remember Moses, stick your hand in your bosom. Pull it out. What does it look like? You go tell them that my name is I am that I am. No one else has ever known me with the emphasis on that name like I'm revealing it to you. You go tell them that I am sent you. What a, what a man. And then he came back and stood with his brother Aaron before Pharaoh and said, let my people go, and tore that nation to shreds and plundered it of its wealth. That wealth is what David used to build a temple to the Lord. Israel took so much wealth out of Egypt. He was a great man. Joshua had privileges to be with Moses, to be near the Lord, and he loved it. You know the verse I'm referring to, that when Moses went into the tabernacle and God met with him there, and Moses talked with God as a man talks to his friend face to face, this is how the Bible describes it, when Moses left to tend his business in the camp of Israel, Joshua stayed behind because Joshua wanted some of that personal relationship with God. That's your goal for 2019. Forget going through the motions. Forget doing church things. Meet God. Meet his son. Love them. Talk to them. Embrace them. Learn of them. Rejoice in them. Fill your heart with them in 2019. 
Israel has proven over 40 years as Joshua assisted Moses to be a stubborn and rebellious people. Who would want to lead that nation? Who would want to lead Israel? How many times did God say to Moses, stand back. I am sick and tired of hearing this junk out of these people. I'm going to burn them all up, and you can go in your tent with your wife, and we'll start over from scratch. How many times did God say that, and Moses would fall on his face and beg God to have mercy on them? And here Joshua has to take these people. He has to take these people across Jordan to take Canaan. Moses couldn't get them to do it. Do you know that? Moses couldn't get them to do it. Now Joshua is supposed to do it? Moses could go up on Mount Sinai and come down with his face shining like a star and have two golden, to have two, not golden, but have two stone tablets in his hands with ten commandments. I've been reading too many books about Mormonism. Two stone tablets in his hands. That was Moses. Joshua could only go part way with him. Moses was a great man. Joshua had to replace him. Surely, the challenges that you have in 2019 are not quite that bad. Now, I tried to make them bad. I tried to pick on every one of you and me. But they're, they're not as bad as what Joshua had to do. There were giants in the land that had greatly intimidated their bravest recon scouts that went out with Joshua 40 years earlier. Israel wasn't very experienced in warfare compared to the cities that were walled up to heaven. That's, those are high walls. Two and a half tribes had said, we're not going in. We want to stay here on the east of the Jordan. We don't want to go into the land of Canaan. I hope that in your minds, I do not have it on a screen. I do not have it in a handout. You should know what the Middle East looks like. Israel is at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. It runs north and south. It does not lie under the Mediterranean Sea like Egypt does. It is at the end, and it runs north and south. The Jordan River was one of its boundaries on the eastern side. The Mediterranean Sea was its western boundary. But two and a half tribes didn't even want to go in. So Mo Joshua had a very delicate situation to deal with of two and a half tribes saying, we want to stay right here. And that's what Joshua 1 is all about. And I had you read Numbers 32 last night because it was all about that. How could Joshua possibly get these difficult people to do what Moses could not get them to do? Well, we're going to benefit by reading God's words of encouragement to Joshua. And I know my time. And I know that I'm not even done yet with my introduction. I know that. Will not be all that long because it's not complicated. It's to, it's to encourage you. And encouragement isn't complicated. Encouragement just needs to be passionate. And I'm not lacking in that this morning. And I wasn't yesterday. And I want all of you to know that if you're passionate for the Lord Jesus Christ, things are going to happen on Sunday mornings like they have happened to me this morning. Circumstantial things to try to steal my joy in the Lord, try to disrupt me, try to distract me and divert me, and they'll do that to you. And you cannot let it happen because we are here to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't want anything to distract us or divert us. 2019 is the only year that counts right now. The past is irrelevant. I don't want you to think about what I've done. I don't want to think about what I've done. What I've done is nothing. 
What am I going to do in 2019? That's what matters to the Lord. It's the lap that I see in front of me. I don't care about the laps behind. You can't care either. We've got to press forward and press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That is not looking backward at all. That is not looking sideways at others at all. That is pressing, I want to be the best for the Lord Jesus Christ. God spoke to Joshua and told him what to do to prosper in his huge, challenging undertaking. God is our most loving Father that we will ever have. And told Joshua what to do to succeed. He gave him a written manual of it, of Moses' words. You should attempt great things for God this coming year and expect great things from God. How can you possibly lose doing it that way? William Tyndale attempted a great thing for God. Did God bless him to do it? Indeed. Oh, brother, that quote from the bishop's meeting, that was sweet. That was sweet. We know that we would love to have Pope Frank here so that our children could take him apart with the word of God. You know, I wrote that man from South Africa a couple of days ago, and I told him to go back and listen to the young man that got up in the pulpit last Sunday and wanted to tell you about the hope that is found in John chapter 12 and verse 24, because I wanted that man to know he was six years old. God wants you to live and succeed at life without confusion, doubt, fear, intimidation, or worry. If you start forward, Trusting and obeying God courageously, he will bless you. Okay, Joshua chapter 1. How fast can we do it? Verse 1. Preaching is defined in the Bible very simply. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sentence and caused them to understand the reading. That's preaching. Nehemiah 8.8. 8. What's a pulpit for? It's for a preacher to stand on. We've corrupted the word. It's okay. Because I also need something to hold my Bible. So I'm standing on a pulpit, and my Bible's resting on a pulpit. In the Bible sense of the word, pulpit, this is a pulpit. So that you can see that I have something. Because without this, I am nothing for you. Without this, I am nothing. I know it, and you know it even better. But I have this, and I love this, and I love every word of it. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Israel has relied on Moses for 40 years in the wilderness. He was their great champion against Pharaoh and with God. He was an exceptional man. He had returned at the age of 80 with miracle power and Jehovah's most glorious name. He then seemed to single-handedly destroy Pharaoh, his army, and plunder Egypt. He talked with God like friends, got the Ten Commandments in stone, saved Israel many times. What Israel needed, Moses provided. From war, to worship, to water, to manna. Think about it. Worship. They didn't know how to worship God. Moses built them the tabernacle. Everything they needed, Moses gave them. Moses was God's faithful servant, the meekest man on the earth, merciful, loyal, close, tender, zealous, 
for earlier sin, Moses died before they got to take the land of Canaan. The death of Moses was a traumatic event for Israel, and the Lord had to bury him. They mourned him for 30 days and 30 nights. God had to bury Moses. There was a fight for the body of Moses between Michael the archangel and the devil because that body would have been exploited by the Israelites and exploited by the devil to worship that body. So God buried him. And so we have verse 1 introducing the situation that Joshua is in now. Moses is dead. There's no one I can turn to. There's no one I, I can text and say, you make the decision. Joshua's the man. The buck stops with him. And so the Lord speaks to him. Verse 2, here are the words. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. The opening words, Moses, my servant is dead, had to make his blood run cold with that telephone call. Joshua, it's your turn. I need you to step up, stand up, and lead these people. I know there's three million of them. I know they're hard-hearted, stiff-necked, difficult people that'll probably want to kill you every couple of years. But I want you to lead them into the land of Canaan across this Jordan River. I want you to know, and it's uh, chapter... Oh, come on. I thought it was chapter 3 and verse 1, but it's not. But it's right... Okay, it's verse 15. I just want you to know in chapter 3 and verse 15, it tells us that at this time of the year, the Jordan River was overflowing its banks. Keep that in mind. They did not have the Army Corps of Engineers. They were not going to take time to build a dam. They were going to cross that Jordan in three days. Three days from now. It wasn't going to take them three days to get across. Three days from now. But we'll get to that shortly. Very shortly. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Leaders cannot procrastinate if responsibility has been given and the time arrives. Every groom, Austin, every, I'm not picking on your family. At all. He just happens to be the most recently married. Every groom must realize he is responsible for two souls and take godly charge. That was a, that's a horrifying thought to a man with a conscience. That ride home from the hospital with Rachel, and I looked over there and said, who invited these two to the party? I've got a wife and I've got a daughter. I'm responsible for three souls. Lord, I'm not capable. I can't even take care of myself. In the 19, I couldn't. Lord, have mercy upon me. But every man should be thinking that way. God's given you responsibilities to love that little woman and those two children straddling you. Every one of you, you're a leader, and God's told you to stand up and be counted for righteousness' sake in your home. Every father must realize he is responsible for three or more souls and lead righteously. The task that hadn't been done for 40 years, which Israel had first rejected, was at hand. They had rebelled against taking that land. The national goal for Israel was to take it. It was called the promised land because God had promised it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. Verse 3, every place, Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you 
as I said, unto Moses. The place where they would tread is defined and limited in the context. It's all of Canaan, which was about 6,000 uh, 6, square miles. About 6,000 square miles. About 40 times 150. Greenville County is only 800 square miles. Joshua's got to take a big piece of property. The general boundaries, if you want to think about it, are from the Euphrates River, which is in present Iraq, to the Nile River, which is considered Egypt, from beyond Jordan, where the two and a half tribes wanted inheritance, to the Mediterranean Sea. Those are the far boundaries of Israel. What a homestead act. Every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon. In 1862, our government said, if you'll head west and you'll mark yourself out 160 acres and you'll file a, 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 an appeal for it, we'll give it to you. 1862, the Homestead Act. 420,000 square miles were given to 1.6 million different American families. Incredible Homestead Act. This is the Homestead Act in the Bible. Go take the land of Canaan. You know, there were a few Indians out west. This nation had 31 cities and seven nations with cities walled up to heaven. Indians had never thought about a wall or a wheel or a chariot or a number system or anything. Joshua had his work cut out for him. Verse 4. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even under the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. What sea? Was it the Sea of Galilee? That when the sun went down, settled over this sea. The Mediterranean. Because it was at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. So the sun set over the Mediterranean. So the Mediterranean was the western border. The Euphrates was the eastern border. Lebanon or Syria, which are basically side by side in today's map as well, was their northern boundary, and the wilderness that they had just wandered in for 40 years was the south, southern boundary, the wilderness of Zin. The wilderness of Sin, the way those people had treated Moses and the word of God. And so that's what we have in verse 4, and yes, I'm rushing over it, and there are so many things that I want to say to you. Did God give Israel all the land? Absolutely, yes, indeed. That is a lie of dispensational Zionism to think that God still owes Israel anything in the Middle East. If you look at Joshua chapter 11, I can't share the 50 verses with you that declare it, just a couple. Joshua 11, verse 23. See, I wanted to be a missionary to Israel when I was in the sixth grade. And so I remember how important it was for me to pray for the peace of earthly Jerusalem and, and want to go there to be a missionary. So I wrote the Israeli embassy as a 12-year-old, and they sent me a flag, and I was all set. Joshua 11, verse 23. So Joshua took the whole land. Amazing. According to all that the Lord said unto Moses. Amazing. Yep, I believe it. For some reason, I believe it. How about chapter 21? Joshua chapter 21. This is a rabbit, but we're close, and we've got a 66 magnum. That's the 66 chapters in your Bible. Joshua chapter 21, verse 43. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land 
which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And if you go to, I don't want to turn you there, Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 7 and 8 are wonderful verses where it says that God promised Abraham land that he gave them because he is righteous. Anyone that doesn't think God gave the land to the descendants of Abraham says God is not righteous and doesn't keep his promises. Nehemiah said that in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. And there's about 40 other references, and they're in a document on our website entitled, What About the Land? Let's go on to verse 5. Three things to remember about the land. God gave it all to them. I'm sorry, God gave it all to them. It was by a conditional covenant. You say, but it says forever. Yes, and it says circumcision was forever. Have you read Genesis 17? Or do you always stay in Genesis 15, where it, where it talks about the land? Genesis 17 said circumcision was forever. A perpetual covenant forever. No, they weren't. They were both conditional. They were not unconditional covenants like C.I. Schofield wants people to believe. They were conditional covenants. And so when they disobeyed, God rooted them out of the land, tore them away from it, and took them to other nations. Third thing was, neither Abraham, Isaac, Jacob ever thought that God meant that worthless sand at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. Amen. Hebrews, see, Abraham never owned enough soil to put the sole of his foot on. That's what Stephen told us in Acts chapter 7. But God said, to thee and thy seed will I give this land. Abraham never owned any of it. So something must be off in our thinking. Not in God's word, in our thinking. And we find out when we go over to Hebrews chapter 11, where Abraham is expressing by faith what he understood about the land promises. He understood them as heaven. He wandered around in sheepskins and in tents, not owning any property, because he was looking for a heavenly country and a city whose builder and maker is God. And in the next chapter, Paul told all the Jews that he wrote, that's why it's called Hebrews, because he wrote Hebrews about what they had. And what they had was Jerusalem above and Mount Zion above, not on earth. And Abraham knew that because he was the friend of God. And so Abraham understood that. And what's heaven called in the Bible? Abraham's bosom. That's Abraham's great place. So enough about that. Whenever we read about the land, you've got to remember God did give it to them. It was only given conditionally, which they lost. And third, the real promises weren't physical anyway. They were spiritual about heaven. Verse 5, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, Joshua. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Wow, what a statement. You say, I wish God would say something like that to me. He has. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. He has said it. Believe him. Step forward and do something with that promise from God. Verse 6, be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. What does it mean to be strong? Have faith. Man up. Lead out front. Do not waver. What does it mean to have courage? Fear nothing. Take risks for God. Boldly strike. That's what it means to be strong and of good courage. 
Look at listen to First Corinthians sixteen thirteen. Watch ye. See, the Apostle Paul taught New Testament churches the same kind of a lesson. Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. That's a verse. That's a verse. That's Paul to the church at Corinth. Watch ye. Be vigilant. Stand fast in the faith. Don't you waver or move at all. Quit you like men. Don't be afraid or intimidated by anything. Be manly and step out front. Be strong. Don't be weak about it. Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. That's 2019 for us from a New Testament passage. But this is God speaking to Joshua in the Old Testament. The Bible has many examples of men putting both strength and courage into practice. When Abraham's nephew was taken captive by four kings that had ventured out of Mesopotamia and taken Lot and his family captive, Abraham drafted his confederates, took his 318 trained servants, and went after them and defeated them. Jonathan and his armor-bearer gladly attacked a garrison of Philistines on high ground by themselves. That's being courageous and strong and not being intimidated. David ran to meet the giant Goliath without weapons or shield, except a couple little strands of rawhide in a pouch and five smooth stones, hoping that there'd be a family reunion in that valley and he could take out the four brothers as well. Zerubbabel and Joshua were strong to rebuild the temple. How strong was Esther? Esther was strong. Esther went in and appealed to Ahasuerus and confronted him about the highest ranking official in his government. She knew that if he did not raise his scepter when she entered his room, she'd be killed. She was courageous and she was strong. Girls, you can be courageous and strong in 2019 as well. Verse 7, only be thou strong and very courageous. I thought we had that in verse 6. We did have it in verse 6. We have it in verse 7. We have it in verse 9. We have it in verse 18. Be courageous and be strong. Only be thou strong and very courageous. Joshua, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This is our Heavenly Father telling us how to have prosperity. And that is to keep the Word of God and not to turn to the left, not to turn to the right. We don't add to it. We don't take from it. We keep God's Word. We stand up and help our wives keep it. We stand up and lead our children to keep it. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's Joshua. And it's God telling Joshua how to do it. You're going to have to be strong, Joshua, to stand on God's Word. Your family is going to come back to you and say, well, Christians, Christians aren't that strict anymore, Dad. You be as strict as the Bible is strict in its old paths. We don't care what Christians say or do today. We care what God's Word says. Those are the paths that we want to follow. Joshua, you're going to have to be courageous to observe all that's in the law of God. People are going to say to you, you're being nitpicky. You're being a legalist. They don't even know what the word means. They probably can't even spell it. A legalist, if, you have, if they ever understood the term, is someone that thinks the law of Moses gets you to heaven. 
because we're conservative and because we're careful and strict in some things that we do, that doesn't make us legalists because we don't think we're going to heaven by those things. We're just trying to follow the paths of Scripture. So dads, to be strong and very courageous, notice what it's applied to. To observe, to do, according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not to the right or the left, that you can prosper whithersoever thou goest. You will take Canaan in a storm of fury and power and might without hardly loss of a man. You will get cities walled up to heaven. You will have houses built, already furnished, wells already dug, vineyards already planted and yielding, if you'll just follow my word. Man, let's do that this year. You say, I've done it this past year. Do it better this year. I know that I can do everything better. Are you ashamed of your pastor? I can do everything better. I want to do it better for him. I want you to do it better for him. What was the greatest danger to Joshua and our danger as well? Compromise the Bible in any way. Read, look at that verse 7. It's a powerful verse to observe to do according to all the law. We can't have a man stand in the pulpit and tell us about William Tyndale getting us the Bible if we're not going to obey the Bible. Keeping the Bible is more important than memorizing the Bible. Fearing and trembling before the Word of God is more important than glorying in our King James Version. We want to keep it. That's the greatest danger to us. What's the greatest rule of prosperity? Obey the Bible exactly as given. At first, listen to this about the Bible. It first and least reveals perfect wisdom. It last and most brings supernatural favor. There's two reasons to obey the Bible. There's two reasons it will make you prosperous. And I mean prosperous as defined by God, not by this world. Two things. One, it has the rules of truth and wisdom for handling every exigency, contingency of life. Because God is our infinitely wise Father, and he's told us how to make everything work. That's number one. Number two is he then blesses with supernatural blessings outside of our controlled domain and sight those that follow him. So he opens up doors of opportunity, and he brings sales to businesses, and he prospers. But don't measure yourself by your business. Don't measure yourself by your job. Measure yourself by God's word. That's the only measure that counts, because there is the, the prosperity of fools. Proverbs chapter 1 tells us that God will sometimes send prosperity to fools to keep them in their folly. Because if they think prosperity is a measurement of being good, it isn't. The Bible is the measurement of whether we're good or not. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. This is not E.F. Hutton talking to you. This is God Jehovah talking to Joshua when he says in this verse, good success and make my way prosperous, you ought to listen. You ought to listen. Notice what it says. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Didn't say memory. 
It didn't say wall hangings. It didn't say screensaver. Mouth. Because to be a leader, you've got to be a teacher. You've got to be a trainer in the Word of God. Those sons he's given to you are your responsibility to teach the Word of God. Every one of us are responsible to have it in our mouth. And it only gets into our mouth by getting into our head. And we only speak it as we should when it's also in our heart. So we've got to read therein and meditate on it day and night. We've got to read it to learn it. Then we've got to think on it until it's it's our part of our thought process. And then we've got to speak it and say, family, this is the way we're going to do it. And we do it that way according to the Bible. Leaders, whether they're a ruler, a civil ruler, a master in a business, a husband, a father, a pastor, has to have the Bible in their mouths. This wasn't a suggestion for Joshua, but a direct charge and commandment. So that book that William Tyndale helped us get in the English language, we need to read it, meditate on it, and speak it and teach it. We need to be able to give an answer for the faith that's within us and the hope that's within us. It's only by regular reading and meditation of God's Word that you can keep all of it. Joshua's prosperity and success depended on these three things stated in this verse. The things stated are constant or regular reading, meditation, and application. Reading, meditation, application. Application is family. This is how we put it into practice. This is how we're going to do it. You know, these are the same words that come up in Psalm 1. It's amazing, isn't it, to have a book written by one author, penned by 40 writers, but one author. So that Psalm 1 says the same thing. To meditate day and night in the Word of God is what will make you prosperous. But the wicked are not so. Verse 9, have not I commanded thee? Joshua, have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. This is the third time. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Don't let this challenge of Canaan intimidate you. Don't be worried about it. Don't be fearful. Every wife, when you hear about submission, and you hear about Bible submission, you say to yourself, if I was to submit to my husband like that, I would be a doormat and he could trample on me. I said he could. I didn't say he would. I said he could trample on me. You don't have any faith in God. You're doubting and being dismayed by the word of God. And the word of God has a word for you in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 6 that women ought to fear and obey their husbands without amazement. Amazement is confusion of mind at knowing what is right to do. And you shouldn't be amazed. If God said it, do it. Your husband has to go to work and submit to someone who's a pagan. You chose your husband. Your father didn't choose his boss. He got whatever God's deck of cards drew for him when he got his job. And I'm not going to get off on that subject. I just want to give you an example. These verses, though they apply primarily to men, because Joshua was a leader of men, and we have to be a leader of our families, they also apply to wives and children. Lord, help every wife and child here to see that they can keep these commandments as well. Have not I commanded thee? Go do it. I'll be with you. Whithersoever you go, every step that you take, it's yours, Joshua. It's yours, because I'm with you. Verse 10, then Joshua commanded. Oh, yes. What's going to happen to today's effort? What's going to happen to the two hours of the first assembly? 
What's going to happen? There should be a then. Then the people of God said in their hearts, we're going to do what God said, and when you go home, you do it. Amen. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, verse 11, pass through the host and command the people. He commanded his princes to command the people. That's the chain of command. Wife, this is how we're going to run our family. I'm telling you first, but we're going to have a family meeting, and this is the changes we're going to make so that we're a, a family that pleases God more. And then the wife is, is on board as these people, as these princes were on board, and as the whole nation was on board. The commandment was passed through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. Now the Jordan is overflowing its banks. Manna is about to stop. They were not going to stop at rest areas to eat and feed little Johnny. Talking about me. They were going to cross Jordan. And so they had to prepare victuals. You get this nation ready, because in three days we're going over Jordan. Jordan was overflowing its banks. It was a raging torrent coming down. Chapter 3 and verse 15 tells us that. And God loves drama. The nation of Israel couldn't get within 3,000 feet of that Ark of the Covenant. That Ark, that little tiny gold box with cherubim on the top of it, was on the shoulders of the priests. And Israel had to stand back 3,000 feet, 2,000 cubits. That's, that's more than a half a mile. What did it take for Jordan to pile up and back all the way upstream for all of Canaan to know that there was a God in Israel? What did it take? I want two words. One step. One step. One step. When those priests took one step and touched the edge of that water, Jordan backed up. And they went across on dry ground. And they left themselves a little pyramid in the middle of it, and it wasn't to honor Egypt. They left a little pyramid of stones that they pulled out of it and put on the shore to remind their sons, this is what God did for us. He backed up Jordan. Command the people in three days. Verse 12, And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites, and to half the tribe of Manasseh, spake Joshua, saying, verse 13, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest on this eastern side of Jordan, and hath given you this land on the eastern side of Jordan. Verse 14, Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them. Until the Lord have given your brethren rest, verse 15, as he hath given you, and they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then ye shall return unto the land of your possession, and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side Jordan, toward the sun rising. That's the east. Because I had you read Numbers 32 last night, and, and we have tried to have some wisdom in our preparatory emails, you know the full story about the two and a half tribes dealing with Moses and Moses cutting them a deal. 
Moses was pretty harsh with them in the first half of that chapter, wasn't he? He got their attention, and they came meekly to him and said, We will keep everything that you have said. And so here Joshua now is dealing with a delicate management situation. Do you think you have a delicate management situation at work? Two and a half tribes want this side of Jordan. But you have got to get them to serve with the other ten and a half, or there's going to be disunity, and you will have reduced your fighting force by about 18%. So Joshua lays it on them. And he was the name dropper, wasn't he? He dropped Moses' name about five times because they had cut a deal with Moses, but Moses was dead, but he appealed to the Lord that had made the arrangement through Moses, and he appealed to them and said, you've got to march over before this people, all armed, ready for war. Then you can go back and enjoy. And there's lots of... There's lots of lessons that can be learned here that we don't have time for. Your greatest leverage is always God's word. Moses, Joshua, excuse me, Joshua appealed to Moses' word. Joshua appealed to scripture. It's been written. It's been sent from God. It's cast in stone. This is what you're supposed to do. So only marry someone that fears the Lord. We never marry outside the Lord. It's a sin to do so. We will not countenance it. Marry someone that fears God. Then you have your greatest leverage with them. And that's the word of God. A wife that marries a man that fears the Lord can send him a little note sometime in a respectful, appropriate way that has a verse or two in it and crush him like no one else can crush him. I hate to hear the words. I remember a preacher that once said, but I love to hear those words from my wife. I remember a preacher once said, oh, your greatest leverage is always God's word. So teach your children the fear of God. When your children become teenagers, their love for you will not sustain them. Their love for you will not keep them from temptation. Because when they're upset at you, for you trying to rain on their parade and ruin their party in life, they ain't going to love you. But if they fear God, even though you've rained on their parade, they're going to obey you because they fear God. It's the greatest leverage. And Joshua showed us that. Name dropping is powerful too. Starting with God's name, then the great Moses. And recalling promises is wise as well for the hope and the reward of obedience. You know, to tell children that if you honor your parents, it'll go well with thee. You know that all of you that have parents, you know that I say it to you, it will go well with thee. I just love to say those words to you. It will go well with thee. Jordan, it's your turn. It will go well with thee. I picked on me, it was time for... Brother Trickay's family. Verse 16 is wonderful. Children in this church, wives in this church, can you be like this to a man that takes charge in your home to have a godly family? They answered Joshua saying, All that thou commandest us, we will do. And whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. Every wife and child should respond like this to a man that is right with God taking charge in his home. Jump in behind him. 
Hold on to his coattails. Encourage him. Get your pom-poms out and cheer him on to be a mighty man of valor. A wife or child resisting a husband or father under conviction will answer God for it. Verse 17, according as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee, as he was with Moses. They said, we're going to treat you just like we treated Moses. There isn't any difference to us between you and Moses, but the Lord thy God be with thee, like he was with Moses. Would a wife say that to her husband? I will follow you anywhere, as long as you're following the Lord. And may God bless you in everything you want to do, my man. Lord, help us to have families like that and power couples that way. With wives jumping in behind their husbands, saying words like this. Verse 18, Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment, and will not hearken unto thy words, and all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Anyone in our two tribes that doesn't do it your way will kill them. You understand why Sherry and I treat our family the way we do. It isn't a mystery to anyone. We follow the Bible. We follow verses like this. And it is our privilege and our pleasure and our safety and our honor to do so. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment and will not hearken unto thy words and all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Only be strong and of a good courage. And there comes the Lord through the two and a half tribes saying it for the fourth time to Joshua, only be strong and of a good courage and we're there with you. We will do everything you tell us and anyone in our two tribes that doesn't want to do it your way, we'll kill them and we'll move on. What a commitment. Godly wives support husbands likewise, promising unity to him against children. A wife never takes the sides of children against her husband. Godly children support parents likewise, promising support against child rebels that are in the family. Note the singular pronouns repeated several times for total loyalty to Joshua himself. Thy commandment, thy words, thou commandest him. They swore their allegiance to Joshua. What does it mean to be strong? Have faith. Man up. Lead out front and do not waver. Keeping God's word. What does it mean to have courage? Fear nothing. Take risks for God. Boldly strike. What are you boldly going to do in 2019 for the Lord? David was at straits at Ziklag. In straits. But he encouraged himself in God for the great challenge that fell upon him there. He wrote Psalm 18, which is filled with enormous challenges, overcome with God's help. By my God, I have run through a troop, and by my God, I have leaped over a wall. There's no wall that can hinder you. There's no troop that can stop you. If God is with you, and God is with you, when you observe to keep all his commandments, Lord, help us this then. Just do it. The pagan tree-worshipping Nike company came up with that about 40 years ago. But just do it. Stand up. Take the first step. Let your toes touch water and the Jordan will back up. Lord, have mercy upon us. The outline will be published in the next 24 hours and you can see the little table that I read from about things that you could consider. Get creative. David got creative. No one had ever, no one ever mentioned a temple. David came up with the idea. 
he wanted to build a magnificent palace to the Lord. He said, this palace has got to be magnificent. I'm, I'm quoting from the chapter now because this is for God, not for man. It could be a memory program. It could be, it could be you have the hottest romantic marriage in the church. It could be your children become the most serving children in the whole church. Serving children. Always interested in, in to help others. Because that's a commandment. All kinds of things that you can do. 2019 is before us. 2018 is history. God forgive us for every failure of 2018. And we're going to forget every success of 2018 that we may go forward and give these something exceeding magnificent in 2019. Only be with us and bless us. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, please.